as that is, and I've watched that three times, it's still hilarious to me. It makes a very, very serious point, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about this idea of never uh, actually completely alone, completely alone. But it's actually, the reason I almost said never alone is because the message today is kind of misnamed. Because the reality of it is, and this is something I want you to remember before we do anything today, I want you to remember we, no one in here, not a single person, is ever, ever completely alone. Uh, we got people that are, have never been married, people who are single again, people who are young people, maybe got a lot of friends, maybe you don't have a lot of friends. We got people who are married and a lot of times feel lonely. Uh, but none of us ever are completely alone. The fact of the matter is, Jesus, hope he doesn't look like that, is always with us. He is always with us. We cannot escape his gaze. Jesus, in a certain way of thinking, is kind of like a spotlight. And uh, All right, I'm going to start off the day. I'm going to tell a rock and roll story. I know you probably get sick of hearing them, but I'm going to tell you one, okay? So, uh, we were on the road, the band I used to be in called The Waiting, and we were playing a show, uh, about 4,000 people, uh, with this band called Big Tent Revival and this band called Jars of Clay, all right? So, no one cheers for the waiting, but as soon as you mention jars of clay, woo! Thank you. We were the warm-up band. In fact, we had the sorry 20-minute slot, okay? So, the waiting goes on first, plays for the sorry 20 minutes, then Big Ten Revival gets like 45, then jars of clay gets every bit as long as they want, right? And so, we're in this big hall, 4,000 people, every seat is full, and I'm going to let you in on a little... The little carnal side of the road, it's not as bad as it sounds, okay? But, but the goal when you're, on, when you're sharing a stage with a bunch of other bands is actually, believe it or not, to blow the other bands off the stage. That's just what you try to do. That's your goal. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what it was. So we figure we got 20 minutes. So we got to pull out all the stops. The waiting, we have got to kick tail. So we got a couple of bits. We have this thing that I made up. It's called the Big Gong. I'm, I was brilliant, all right? Let me just tell you right now. So, so we have this long song on one of our records. It's got this long instrumental, lots of guitar solos and everything, and it goes on and on. And I don't have anything to do because I was a singer. I was just holding the mic, so I had this idea. You know what I'll do? I'll go buy one of those little gongs, you know what I mean? Like a, a big kind of iron gong that you beat on, and it makes a gong sound. And I'll, I'll use that to stop the band. Now, we had prepared this in advance, right? So... So I have a little gong. So while my brother's playing a solo, I go running off stage. I grab the little gong. I come up right up to my mic and I go, bing! You know, kind of make a big deal out of it. Band doesn't stop, right? It's a joke, right? So I, I kind of... And I go running off stage. Now here comes the cool bit, right? I come dragging out one of these huge... On wheels kind of gongs, right? Like huge. Eight foot, well, six foot gong, right? And across the top, in glow in the dark tape, I had taped big gong, right? And so I, I pull it out and it's got a, a tarp over it. So here's the trick. See, when you're, when you're in rock and roll and you're performing, you kind of got to gotta amp up the audience uh, excitement as you go along. That's part of the trick, right? So, so I... I pull the, pull the sheet off, 
Spotlight goes down on the big gong. Everybody cheers because they know what's coming. See? See how smart I am, right? So then you got to kind of make a big deal out of it, right? So, and at the prearranged moment, boom, gong! And the band stops. The lights go down. The glow-in-the-dark tape is all you see, and it says, big gong. I know it doesn't sound glorious. But trust me, right? Because, and when I did that this night with Big Tent Revival and Jars of Clay, and we got the sorry little 20 minute slot, they would never forget it. 4,000 people <sighs> cheering. And I did awesome. I was, I was great, right? I just was. So the next day, we're playing, I can't remember where, not with Jars of Clay, not with Big Tent Revival. Uh, a few less than 4,000 people. Like, say, 100, something like that, right? And uh, in these little gigs, it gets kind of monotonous and stuff. And, but so what you look forward to is the good food. You know, if they feed you really well, it's very exciting, right? So this, whoever, whoever the team was, they came up with chicken parmesan for lunch. Man, that, that was like the food of the gods on the road, man. It was just exciting, so I eat a helping of chicken parmesan. It's wonderful. I love it. So I have another. I love it. I was skinny back then. I could afford to do this. I have another. And some side dishes and, and some tea and stuff. Well, you know, we started the show. It was going pretty well. And all of a sudden, I, I start to not feel so good. I could feel it, you know. And uh, I don't know if something was wrong with the chicken parmesan or if I just ate too much or a combination of the two. So we came up to this song that I just told you about, the big gong song, right? And so I go off while my brother's playing his guitar solo and I go get the little gong. And I bring it out and I hit it with a little less energy than the night before. And nobody stops and I kind of fake being mad. And I go running off stage and... Before I made it, please just forgive me, all right? This kind of gross. I could feel it coming. Chicken Parmesan was not waiting anymore. And so what, I, what do you do? Well, I don't want to puke all over the stage, so I flip the gong over and I just... Whoa! And you would... I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have... Man, I thought my shoes were going to come out of there. Just... Whoa! And I got this roadie friend, we called him, excuse me, this is really mean, we called him Fat Tony, because he was, very much so, and, uh, and he was off on the side of the stage, just off, like, behind the curtain, he just looked at me, kind of, what could he do? Now, that sounds bad, it gets worse, because here's the trick, when you're traveling around, you don't bring 50 people with you. You can't afford it. You bring Fat Tony and one other guy. That's all we have. Fat Tony and one other guy. Well, who's going to run the spotlights? Local people. You see where I'm going, right? So all we had was a local guy on the spotlight. Now, you give the local people the same training. Because the most annoying thing is to be the lead singer, particularly if you're me, right? Right? who must have the spotlight at all times. So this is what I always told local people. Listen, if you, if you ever wonder what to do, put the spotlight on me 
and keep it on. I said, and then I would even say sometimes, just to make a point, I'd say, no matter what you see or hear, keep the spotlight on me and keep it on. Now, that's all great when you're doing well in front of 4,000 people. It ain't so great, however, when you're puking in a gong. And that guy was as faithful as the rain. I promise you, he just followed me. He followed me right to here. He followed the gong. He followed the puke. Ah! So everybody knew. And the rest of the show was just, well, I didn't even finish. My brother came up and went, show's over, folks. And that was it. Now, the reason I told you that story is kind of because of what we saw in that video. We're never alone. None of us are ever alone. I know we feel lonely sometimes. Sometimes we feel so lonely we can't even take it. Married or single. You don't have to raise your hand how many married folk have ever felt lonely. And sometimes when you feel that lonely at times... It's hard to believe, wait, Jesus is actually here. He's actually with me. And you know what? As I sit here and tell you that, you're never alone. Doesn't that sound nice? You're never alone. Jesus is always with you. It's a nice little church thing to say. You're never alone. Even if you feel lonely, Jesus is with you. But you know, the Bible talks about a kind of uh, watchfulness of God... Jesus, that is downright scary. The Bible talks about it in both ways. It uses the idea that we are never alone to encourage us when we're lonely and when we're down. And it uses the idea that we are never alone to scare the tar out of us. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, It's kind of like marriage. Raise your hand if you're married in here or have been married. Okay? It's kind of like marriage. You know what I discovered about marriage? only took me 13 years to do it. The best part about marriage, I'm going to tell you the very best thing about being married. Somebody's always there. Someone's always there, man. You want to sit down and watch a movie? Man, all I got to do is kind of just rub my wife's back a little. She'll sit down and watch the dullest History Channel expose on Hitler's belly button. She'll go through anything. All I gotta do is just give her a little attention and she'll just cuddle up right up next to me. Someone's always there when you're married. It's a blessing. It's awesome. It's the best thing. You know what the worst thing about being married is? Someone's always there. And my girl, in particular, that girl is like, she's here, so I gotta be real careful about how I say it, but that girl is like James Bond, man. Nothing escapes her notice nothing she is unbelievably perceptive and intelligent you i can't get away with anything in that house someone's always there there is no alone especially when you got kids right what sam was reading to us when you got kids there's no alone i'm never alone and me i know you find this terribly hard to believe maybe i'm an introvert man i gotta get alone there ain't no alone Someone's always there. Well, the Bible kind of talks about it that way too. It says there's good, there's good about the fact that Jesus is always with us, that we're never alone. There's bad too. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews. Hebrews. 
chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Now follow along. I'm going to read it again. See how this hits you. For the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. How does that make you feel? Uh, I'm out. (laughs) Right? How do I get away from that? If that's what it's like when Jesus is with us all the time, that we're never alone, I want to get out. Because look what it says. It's a sword. It penetrates. It's sharp. It judges. How many think of judging and we think, don't judge me. That's a very common thing. We hear it a lot. Don't judge me. In a way, how I read it, I kind of had a point. That little angry reading, I kind of got a point. I think God's trying to make a point. He's trying to address, in a certain way, if you follow me, our integrity. Now, what is, what is integrity? Just somebody shout an, out, shout an answer out to me. What's integrity? What is that? Honor. Okay, what else? Who you are when no one's looking. How many of you know all of us in here are like this so we can all agree everything's all right? We're, uh, we're different when we're all alone than when we're out in public or when we're around a friend or even when we're around our spouse, if you can hear that from me. There's a, there's a me that I am when I'm all alone. None of you would ever see. It, and you'll never see it because I'd be afraid you'd run me out of town. Right? There's a you that you are when you're all alone that nobody sees. God is trying to say here, look, who you are when you're alone is who you are. That's who you really are. Well, again, when I think about that, when I think about when I'm alone, Jesus is watching me. And he's speaking his word to me. And that word is alive and active. And it divides stuff. Thoughts and attitudes. Anybody ever had crummy attitudes? Don't raise your hand. It divides joint and marrow. The closest things. It divides truth and lie. It divides shades of truth and shades of lie. It divides and divides and divides. Well, it gets pretty frightening. It's pretty scary. And I think he's trying to. You know, if I lived my life and you lived yours, if we really lived our lives like Jesus is with us every second of every day, watching, speaking, would that affect the the decisions that we made at all? Don't answer that. I mean, but don't answer this one. If you 
really believed wherever you went, you were carrying Jesus with you. Would that affect the places that you went? That I went? If you really believe Jesus heard every whisper of every word, would that affect the things that we said to one another? If you really believe the Word of God divides the thoughts and the attitudes, in other words, every thought, every attitude, would that affect what goes on up here? Well, do we really believe it? I'm from Georgia, and in Georgia they, uh, they have a different view. of It's different for pastors there. It's just different. Here at K2, and I love this very much about K2, we try very hard to say, hey, what you see is what you get. That's why we say such scandalous things from stage sometimes. What you see is what you get. This is who I am. And we try very hard to do that. And we try very hard to do that with each other here, and I love that. I think that's the way God wants it. But in Georgia, a pastor is an elevated position. We have our own parking spaces. Right? They call us, they put pastor before our name. Pastor Brad, they used to call me. Pastor Brad. Right? It's a very elevated thing. And so as a pastor in Georgia, you couldn't let anybody see who you really were. I couldn't let anybody know the way I was really thinking. And there's this division there. But you see, this is teaching us that there's something, someone, I should say, so much more attentive, so much more powerful, so much higher than some pastor. You might think of them as a man of God, person of God. Jesus is with us. Jesus is in my hands, if I can put it that way. So that what I do with my hands, Jesus is doing with his. What I do with my mouth, it's like Jesus is saying it. That's how close he is. How I think, it's like Jesus is thinking it. That's how close he is. I'm not saying I'm Jesus by any stretch. I'm just saying Jesus is that close. And he's watching. He's watching. And he, it matters. He does care. Anybody scared? I am, man. Well, let's read it differently. Let's look at it differently. Hey, I don't have a clock, sweetie dear. Let's look at it differently. Let's read the same passage. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Now let's go on. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one 
who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Verse 16 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now let's just look at it different. Isn't it the same words? Those first few verses, weren't they the same words I just read? We've read them three times now. For the word of God is living and active. What I say about marriage, the best part about marriage, somebody's always there. The worst part, somebody's always there. So how do I get happy in a marriage? I guess I just got to change the way I look at it. Always look at it like this. Somebody's always there. And that makes me a lot happier. Okay, so let's do that with this. For the Word of God is living and active. This stuff we're reading, it's alive. It's doing stuff. It's not just words on a page or on a screen. It's doing stuff. It works. Living and active, always working. Never gets tired. Never fails. The Word of God is alive and active. Then it says... Sharper than any double-edged sword. How can, I, how can I make that feel good to me? I, it's a sword. It's sharp. It cuts. It's bad. Really? What do you want to get cut with? A dull sword? You see, he's being very specific. It's sharp. Why? Hurts a lot less. When it has to cut you. How many ever been? Don't raise your hand. If you've ever been under the knife. You've ever been under a physician's care. You've ever had surgery. Let's just agree together. Surgery is always bad. Except when it fixes something that's worse. Now, if you've got to have surgery, do you want a sharp scalpel or a really dull one? And you're sick, and you're out, right? Why don't we want a dull one? Well, because if I try to make a fine line, say, between thoughts and attitudes, stuff that's close, joints and marrow, heart and lungs, I want that thing to be sharp so he makes a fine cut. So he doesn't cut things I don't want cut. He only cuts the stuff he has to cut. Have you ever thought about the Word of God that way for you and me? I know. Okay, we all think it's the truth. I believe every word of it. From Genesee to Revelation. Hallelujah. Right? Have you ever thought about it as this is the stuff that cuts so fine it knows how to fix just what it's trying to fix? Have you ever thought about God as a skilled surgeon? That he's the one looking. Remember I said he's always watching, right? And he's looking at thoughts and attitudes. And he's looking where they come from. And he's looking at uh, joints and marrow spiritually, the, the stuff that's close. And he's looking how it operates. 
But let's read on. It penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges. How do I get out of judges? Judges is bad. I don't like to be judged. I don't want anybody judging me. But when you study really what, what that word means, what is a judge? He's a decider. He just makes perceptions and decides stuff. The, uh, uh, some of you may have noticed, I don't know if you have, but I made a last, in the name of Jesus, a last desperate attempt to grow my hair out recently. It was awful. I said, I'm going to give it one more shot. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to cut it all off. Well, I have patchy hair, unfortunately. I got classic male pattern baldness, right? And I have this patchy hair. Well, I'm vain and insecure, and I don't like it. So I let it grow for a few weeks. So I'm sitting there watching TV just the other night, and uh, there's my hair all ganked up and patchy and dumb looking. And... Uh, my wife just comes in out of nowhere. She just comes in. I'm watching TV. She just starts doing stuff. You know how wives will do that sometimes? They just, like, you got a wart on you or something. They got to pick at it or you got a scab. They got to do something. They, they, wives always got to do stuff to you, right? And so she's, she's just, I can, and I can hear her thoughts. She's like, brush a patch of hair over, maybe cover this spot. Nope. Go back over that. Nope. Back this. Nope. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And she must have worked on it for 25 minutes. Just, just as patient as she could be. Uh-uh, no. Mm-mm. And I'll be honest with you, as humiliating as that sounds, I felt kind of loved. I've got to be honest with you. You're going to take that kind of time to work on some hopeless thing, right? Eventually she goes, I'll tell you what, honey. Let's add, let's add 20 bucks in the budget and go get you a nice straight razor shave. Right? Gave me permission. I went to the barber shop. Man, I got the full treatment. I want, I want the straight razor. None of that cheap stuff. I want the straight. I want you to get with a straight razor and do it. A gentleman's shave. Right? Now, what was my wife doing when she's messing with my hair? Judging. Judging. Is it, was I afraid? Was it a bad thing? No. It's love. See, God is not as I understand him and as I believe the Bible teaches. If you read the whole Bible, there's some scary stuff in there. There is. And I can't sort it all out. But if you read the whole Bible, God is a judge and he's love. A judge. Kind of like a farmer. You ever watch a farmer walk through just before harvest? You ever watch a farmer walk through his crops just before harvest. little blight on that one. Got to get something on that. This one's a little dry. Going to have to give that a little extra water. This one's a little small. Going to have to put something on that, some nutrients or something. He loves the crop. He's judging the crop. But he loves the crop. The crop is his life. That's how God is. So it says it judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then it says this, nothing 
Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, which means naked and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Wait, we got to give account. I got to give account for what I did wrong and wait for the bat to fall. Mm -mm, that's not what that means. If you really study that out, to whom we must give account, that word means reason. Again, you study the whole scripture. God always prefers to reason with us. You can go back to the Old Testament. He talks about Israel and Israel's messing up left and right and they're worshiping gods, foreign gods, and they're bowing down to idols, literally. And they're building a gold calf and they're doing all this stuff. I don't think anyone here has actually bowed down to a gold calf. Could be wrong, but I don't think so, right? They're doing all this terrible stuff. And God says to them, Hey, come, let us reason together. Let's talk about it. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. If we can just reason together, we can work it out. If we can just reason together, I can fix stuff. If we can just sit and talk, I can make it all all right. If you just trust me, just to talk to me, I mean really talk, I can fix it. I know I can. That's his heart. And I know it's his heart because as we read in verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he didn't mess up. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love this line. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Okay, I've read that for years. I've read it for years. And when I look at my life and I look at my mistakes, I go, yeah, yeah, he sympathizes with our weaknesses, but he don't understand, man. What about the stuff... It's not like a weakness. It's like debilitating. What about the stuff we do over and over? My whole life, growing up in the church. Well, if you confess and don't repent, what good is it? But it says right here, we don't have a high priest, Jesus, who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Weakness means... Without strength. No strength in it. I just went to the gym last night and trying to get back on my physical fitness trick, trying to lose a little weight. And for, for months in the past, when I went to the gym, my left arm is not very strong. It's just, it just doesn't have it. And I work out with uh, dumbbells, right? So if I put, say, 45 pounds, just kidding, it's a lot less than that, but I'm going to tell you it's 45 pounds in this arm, right? In this arm, I got like 20. And if I try to lift the same weight with this arm as I do with my right arm, completely without strength. I mean, I can't give it a budge, man. It was that bad. But I've been working out. So I put a little less, 35 pounds. Just kidding, it was more like 15. In this arm. And I put 35 pounds in this arm. And I just... A little easy over here, a little too easy. Just right over here. Too easy over here, not even getting tired. Just right on this arm. After a while of doing that, 
I'm starting to even out. Now, if I get 15 reps of 65 pounds in this arm, <laughs> believe that, i got a bridge to sell you. I can get about 12 with this arm. Just missed it. See, we look at a verse like that. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. And we go, yeah, Jesus sympathizes me with me when I just miss it. Uh-uh. Jesus sympathizes with us when we have no strength whatsoever. How many of us, don't raise your hand, I'll raise mine though. How many of us have areas that we would call over and over areas? We just do the same stupid, dumb, dumb, stupid decision over and over and over. And we confess, please God forgive me for my over and over. But in our heads we go, but that's an over and over. Now if it was just a just missed it, he could sympathize. But since it's an over and over, Jesus is always watching. And he's judging. And he's going to bring the hammer down. But Jesus says, I sympathize with your over and over. With your absolute weakness. With your no strength whatsoever. And then it goes on. He says, uh, But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. I'm going to end right here because this word confidence absolutely blew me away. You know what that word means? Confidence. I've always thought, okay, approach the throne of grace. Just bear up. Jesus, I got some over and overs. But I'm confident. It's not what it says. That word confidence means, you're going to love this, Americans. Freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. Can you believe that's in the Bible? Freedom of speech. Now, we've been talking about, we're talking about completely alone. And we're never actually alone. Jesus is always watching. But now I want to talk to you about an alone that is vital to our lives. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, it's vital. Time alone with God. Just you and Him. With freedom of speech. Those of you who do spend time alone with God. Regularly or not. Those of you who do. Let me just ask you something. Are you holding back at all? Do you get alone with God. And maybe you tell him some things you do wrong. And praise him for some things you think he's doing right. And then you just sort of go on with your day. Are you holding back? I mean, okay, what's really bugging you? Do you ever find yourself in your confession time with God, those of you who have that, and you're confessing to God your wrongs, do you ever find yourself confessing the symptoms and avoiding the disease? Oh God, please help me stop doing this. This isn't fit for a for a follower of Christ to do. Okay, but why are you doing it? Mm, not sure I want to talk about that. Because if you're getting into the why we do what we do, 
that gets to be, it can be pretty dark, man. I mean, I walked with God for 30 years, but there's some darkness. I don't know if I got the nerve to let him into. I'd rather just believe, delude myself into believing that, well, that's dark, so he doesn't have anything to do with that. That's dark, deep darkness. There's darkness, my behaviors, things I say that I know, and then there's deep darkness. Why am I behaving the way I'm behaving? Why do I say the things I say? What's really at the heart of it? What's really bugging me? Well, that gets dark. I don't, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to let that sharp sword in there because I'm afraid, I'm afraid. It's going to hurt. And I'm afraid I can't, I can't bear it. Or actually, to be honest with you, I'm really afraid if I get right down to it, I don't want God to see that stuff. I don't want my God to see that stuff. I'd rather just confess what everybody else has and he knows it. Spend the kind of time that most people spend with him. I don't want it to get too heavy and start cutting me too deep because I don't know if I'm going to recover from that surgery. Or maybe if it's dark enough, he can't even see. He won't even try to look in there because there's dark stuff. God, it makes God uncomfortable. God is holy and this is dark and he's holy and he's light and that's dark. And then I think of a psalm. Psalm 139. You know it? It says, Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern, judge my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. And then it says, you hem me in behind and before. Come on. You've laid your hand upon me. Just a soft kind of touch. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to bear. And then here comes the really scary part. Remember I said we're never alone. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You know what that just said? If I made my bed in hell, you're there. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. Right? If I made my bed in hell, you're there, you're God, you're holy, you're right, you're, you're light, you're good. But if I make my bed in the pit of hell, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness, the deep darkness, the stuff nobody knows, will hide me, and the light become night around me. I love this. This really makes me love God. It should make you love God too. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What's he saying? 
If I carve out time alone with God, I make it my mission in life. I'm going to let him cut where he wants to cut. But it's going to be me and him. And I'm going to have freedom of speech. I'm going to tell him how it really is. What if the stuff I bring is dark? I'll bring the light stuff, the good stuff. I can sing pretty good, Lord. I do all right. I praise you, Lord. Thank you for the gift. Now, if I bring the dark stuff to him, it still works. Light or dark, still works for me. I'll, I'll do it. I'll take care. I love the light. I want you to be in the light. But if you'll come to me and you'll bring the darkness, that, that'll work too. That'll work. So what? So what's our response to this? Well, in a minute we're going to have communion. Communion is just a symbol of everything I've been talking about. You guys ever had those little wafer-thin communion wafers? Stick them in your mouth and they just kind of dry and, I don't know, like Catholic Church they have them sometimes or they give you the little cup with the juice and the communion wafer right on top. You ever seen that? You pull that off, it's a little dry, a little tough going down. There's never enough juice to wash it all down, right? It doesn't taste all that great. And sometimes when you get alone with God, it, it's not all that free of pain. It doesn't taste all that great. But it's good going down. Because what communion means is, Hey, for all my light and all my darkness, Jesus died. And I remember. I remember. So I'm going to call the band up, and I want to leave you with this challenge. Wherever you are in your life, whether you're walking in light or mostly light, you're just, you're just messing up on a few things, Bring it all to God and make it your mission in life to meet with Him. Tomorrow. That's all I'm asking. I'm going to ask for tomorrow. And I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to pray that tomorrow God will begin to show you how sweet it is to be completely alone with Him. The band is going to worship you can take advantage of this time or not. In your heart, you can yield up the darkness and the light. Sing words that are true to God and about God. And God can meet you here. And that sharp sword can start cutting. And things can get better for you. Or you can just sing some songs. But we're going to have communion. So what I'd like for everybody to do is the band starts singing. I'm going to pray. Check your heart. And if you're ready to remember everything that Christ has done for you. So that we could even be completely alone with him. Then you get up whenever you're ready. You take the bread and the juice. And you take it as you, you want to and need to. And you make it a holy moment. An alone moment between you and God.